3: How's it going,
2: Tony? I realized after we recorded yesterday's Michigan Monday show that uh, I had talked about why, you know, hey, we basically didn't do shows last week, and I had talked about that on the morning show. But if people do not uh, listen to the morning show, first of all, shame on you. But guys, tomorrow morning, subscribe where you find podcasts are sold, and uh, second of all, uh, so my bad on us not doing a bunch of shows last week. We, uh, I had uh, regular work, you know, day job, uh, work stuff that. Uh, was pretty busy last week and so i just literally could not do it so apologies we are going to make up for it uh with probably a little bit of extra show this week because we went a little longer than planned on michigan monday yesterday we have a listener question show today and you guys were quite generous with your questions so we're probably going to go a little uh you know we're going to explore the space today i think in terms of uh podcast length as well probably a little longer than our typical 25 30 minutes so uh apologies we will make it up to you uh hopefully this week.
3: Tom, why do I have to be punished <laughs> for your lack of podcasting? Like, why is this my issue to help fix? I don't understand.
2: I, I've got to say uh, of the many issues I have, and I may be accused of having lack of podcasting is probably the only one you cannot accuse me of, of, uh, you know, over, over the last few years.
3: You know, we, we did not do as many shows last week as, we normally do, and I obviously felt some guilt about that because I spent two hours doing a live stream with Noon on Friday. <laughs> and if that doesn't tell you how guilty <laughs> I felt, nothing will.
2: It's like those religious orders where you whip yourself and yes. you know, yes, self-flagellation. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just picturing, picturing the lady from uh, from uh, Game of Thrones just ringing the bells and shame,
3: shame. That's yes. But it, it was a good time. You can find that on YouTube. And if you search for it, you can find it at uh, YouTube.com slash Buckeye Huddle, or just search Noon and Gerd for two hours. See what you find there. Who knows <laughs> what you could possibly find there. So
2: Make sure safe search is on.
3: Yeah. Time Let's start the show over again. Um, anyway, now let's get to our listener questions, because like you said, there were a bunch. There's a lot to talk about. Surprisingly, some questions about some Tennessee stuff, some Michigan stuff in there. I was shocked by that. I don't know why that would be, but I, I say we get started.
2: From at David Hooser1, last year there was a strong argument that the Big Ten East was the best division in college football, but this year it seems like every time we're about to play a team, they lose, and the matchup loses its luster. Why is the Big Ten down this year, and will it bounce back next year?
3: Tom, this is a very uh, deep question, and the Big Ten is down this year because it can be and they can continue to rake in money they don't have to get to the playoffs to earn their money they can just continue to do what they do and they don't need to sell out every home game because the tv money allows them to recoup any losses that they thought they should have gotten from the ticket revenue and so i that's been my big question throughout all of this this tv money with big 10 is going to get you know 80 90 million dollars per team does it create any new championship contenders does it turn purdue into anything does it turn indiana into anything does it turn illinois nebraska into anything there's to me there's very little reason why you can't what any of these programs can't become an oklahoma or something like that no they don't have access to texas i don't i don't i don't care like you have access to other places you have the the resources if you choose to use them the fact that they don't, and and you know, resources isn't just a new facility. Resources, is, you know, is, is staffing is good staffing. It's research. It's video review. It's all of these different things. It's recruiting beyond recruiting, and it's time and effort. And I don't know that there's enough incentive for a lot of these programs who are going to be getting their money for going five and seven. Repeatedly every year, and if and if a coach gets fired for that, you know what that's okay because he made six million dollars for four years' work, or 20 million dollars for two years' work if he gets fired. so it's like the the incentive isn't really there because it's not demanded as much it is as it is in the SEC. Yeah, I think all of that's
2: true, broadly speaking. I also think, you know, let's, I mean, we'll start with the Big Ten East, because that's what the start of the question was about before we sort of broadened out to the whole Big Ten. The Big Ten East this year, I think Ohio State and Michigan are pretty clearly two of the top five best teams in the country. I mean, is that is that safe to say, two of the top six? Like, I I think, I don't think that's outrageous. So you've got the top of the division, you know, which holds up with anyone else, any other division in, in college football. And then, you know, Penn State, yeah, Penn State just got whomped by Michigan, but Penn State also went down to Jordan Hare and just absolutely beat the soul out of Auburn. And Auburn is going to win some football games this year. And, you know, Auburn is competitive with a bunch of other SEC West teams and they just got annihilated by Penn State. So, you know, if, if we were going to reverse the, you know, reverse the script here and, you know, uh, Auburn had come up to Penn State and just annihilated Penn State well that would be a damning indictment of the entire Big Ten and every single team that Penn State was even competitive against well obviously Auburn would beat them by a million points so okay so now Penn State's been competitive with Ole Miss and Ole Miss is number seven in the country because you know the transit of property they just whomped the Auburn and Auburn was pretty close with uh, Ole Miss so every division is kind of flawed The, the the SEC West this year go go you know go down the list Alabama. Alabama's good. I don't, you know, I don't think we need to talk about Alabama as like, oh, they're terrible again. But you know, they they just lost a game. Ole Miss, I think is, you know, they're seven and zero or six and zero, whatever they are. But they're flawed. They they will end up losing to a couple games. Texas A&M lost to Appalachian State. LSU lost to Florida State. Like you can go down the list. Arkansas. Arkansas has been non-competitive in a couple games. Y- you can go down the list and it's like, oh well you know, Auburn's going to fire their coach. It just hasn't happened yet because Auburn has been, you know, got gotten, they've lost a bunch of games. I don't know that there's any divisions that are like super deep. I don't think this is the year where you're saying like, wow, this division has six top 15 teams in it. Like that doesn't really exist. And you know, the, the big 10 East is not quite as deep as it has been in the past because you don't have, you know, Penn state is what it is. And I think Penn state's probably a 15 to 18 in the country kind of team, maybe something in that range. But you don't have that fourth team. Michigan State just wasn't able to do the transfer portal magic again. Michael Axley at Maryland hasn't, just hasn't gotten that, you know, hasn't kind of gotten over that hump from kind of interesting team that will make things, you know, challenging sometimes, but win six or seven games. Like he hasn't taken that next step there. Rutgers is, you know, sort of still working on it and not good yet. Indiana has gone back to, you know, fallen back to Indiana levels. You don't have that fourth team in the East. As far as the West goes, it feels like they just, they've had a lot of teams who have just sort of been like at their level for a long time. And, you know, Nebraska has just sort of been Nebraska for the last like six years. Wisconsin has just, you know, has been, you know, Wisconsin's a little down this year, but they've sort of been Wisconsin for, you know, a certain number of years. You know, Iowa has just sort of been Iowa for a bunch of years. Minnesota has sort of been outside of the one year where they went, you know, won nine, 10 games. They've just sort of been Minnesota. But all those coaches have been there for a long time. Now you've started to see, you know, Nebraska firing Scott Frost, Penn State's, uh, or sorry, Wisconsin firing Paul Christ. I think Penn, I think Wisconsin firing Penn, uh, to, firing Paul Christ might be sort of the counter argument to your complacency thing where, it would be very easy to keep Paul Chris there and say, oh, well, one bad year, it's okay. Give him another try. Just got to be patient. And then they didn't. So, you know, Northwestern is sort of Northwestern. And, you know, so they will have two more, you know, they'll have another bad year and then they'll have the one random up year. And then, you know, uh, Pat Fitzgerald will just be there forever winning Big Ten, you know, you know, winning nine, nine games every four years and then going three and nine the other three. They're fine with that. Illinois is a little bit on the upswing. Where they're they're at least they're not good, but they're at least like interesting. They feel like they're this year's Iowa, where it's just kind of like they're they're not particularly talented. They don't do anything incredibly well, but they are just sort of good enough to beat you. And Purdue is sort of in that camp as well, where it feels like Illinois or Purdue is going to win the West. And those teams are not incredible, but one of them is going to come out of the regular season ten and two, and like. Twelfth, fifteenth in the country, something like that, probably. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know that the Big Ten is that down this year because I think you could sit there, like you can. The the Big Ten is not incredible this year, but I I would challenge you to go through any other conference and go, you know, which, which conference, like one through seven, is like clearly better than everyone else this year. Like you can, you can kind of nitpick anyone if you want to.
3: Yeah, no, I don't think the Big Ten is down. I think this is just what the Big Ten is, and. And I would counter the Wisconsin thing with they're just are are they just going to bring in the next guy? And maybe that's Jim Leonard and ask him to do the same with as little as they allowed Paul Chris. Like you look at the recruiting budget that they have. It's very small. And you look at when Barry Alvarez said, no, we're not going to bring any sixth year people back when we're not going to use that COVID year. Like, are they going to be the penny pinchers that they don't need to be? or are they going to put forth some some money and some effort? And and when I said, you know, I, I think anybody could be in Oklahoma. I think anybody could be a Tennessee. Like Tennessee is, you know, look how far away from Florida and, you know, the Southeast that they, they are geographically and they're still able to get down there. You know, they're just viewed as part of that region, region, which they are, but, you know, Indiana's not that far from Tennessee and, you know, Purdue can do that. And I just think. If if you I'm just interested to see if they begin to really strive for this, especially now with playoff spots available before it's like, well, it's really going to be hard to get one of those four for Purdue or Wisconsin or an Illinois. But now when it's going to be 12 teams, there's room for you. And at this point, you really I would be disappointed if we didn't start seeing some some striving for that opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's
2: an interesting point. Cause I I've seen that this argument with the baseball playoffs that, you know, the expansion of the baseball playoffs and the fact that you had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of hundred win teams are out already, you know, the Dodgers are out, the, uh, Mets are out the, uh, there's someone else, uh, the, uh, the Braves are out and, you know, the Yankees were, you know, as of the time we're recording, this are two to two against Cleveland in the, in the first round. So, you know, you're sort of incentivized to make the, you know, make a real push to, you know, kind of push your chips in because once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. And I don't think that's necessarily as true with college football as it is with baseball, but, you know, you're certainly, if you can get into the college football playoff that, you know, that certainly would be defined as a successful season for pretty much outside of Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. If you make the college football playoff, that's a pretty good season. Michigan was Overjoyed to beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, make the college football playoff last year. So, I think you know it's a little less of an achievement when it's a 12-team field. But I think maybe that does push some of those uh, Big Ten West teams to potentially, to potentially, you know, make a
1: run at it. With lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: College football playoff, 2024 college football playoffs. Like right now, Ohio State making the college football, there's no final four banner. And it's like, Oh, you own, you didn't make it. You didn't even make it to the championship game. So you failed and there's too much of that. And I think with other teams now finally having a, an opportunity, the value of the playoffs kind of rises and other people say it diminishes it. It rises in the eyes of so many teams where this is, this is now an attainable goal and being there, they value that. Like, it, it it creates it's it's like cryptocurrency. You say it has value, and it does. Tom, this is it's it's an NFT basically, and I, except this is tangible.
2: <laughs> so that's just an FT. All right, got it. <laughs> yeah, it, it will be interesting to see when the final four becomes more than just you made the field. If the final four becomes a you know something in the way that it has in basketball, where If you make the final four, it means you actually, you got to the tournament and then you won a you know, you won some games to get there. It'll be, I mean, that I I think it, it isn't right now because basically number one, the history of college football is there is no final four. There is a final two. And even before that, it was sometimes there's, there's just one team playing another team. And then number two is also somewhere else playing a different team. You know, the, the, the history of the final four in college football stretches all the way back to 2014. So it hasn't really had time to become a thing. It'll be interesting to see if that changes with the expansion of the playoff. All right. Uh, speaking of the expansion of the playoff, uh, from at Van Gogh underscore zero, will ESPN talking heads argue that three SEC teams should make the play 22 playoffs? Or will they argue that four SEC teams should make the playoffs? I think you're going to see that from some corners of, I mean, I think one of the important things here is you have to d- separate the SEC network people from ESPN people because you will see it from SEC network people 100 percent like you'll have because their whole thing is gassing up the SEC to make you think the SEC is more important because that makes more people watch the network, which makes more money. for them. I mean, that, this is this is the business model. This is the uh, I'm going to say the meanest thing I've ever said about the SEC network. The SEC network is basically cable news for college football. That's And, you know, the Big Ten Network is kind of the same thing. It's like, look, it's our team and we're great. And so keep watching because the other guys are bad and we're good and it's great. And so uh, that's an important thing to separate out. The other thing that I think will maybe make this less of a conversation point this year in like actual sane circles of the college football internet is the Big Ten is going to have an unbeaten team. So there's one, you know, either Ohio State or Michigan is going to be 13-0 13 and 0 and a Big Ten champion, so they're in the college football playoff. If that game is close, if Ohio State Michigan is close, if that game ends up 38 35 in Columbus, the loser of that game is probably still in the college football playoff conversation. And then you've also got Clemson, who's currently unbeaten and then out of the ACC. You know, maybe you get a you know, does TCU stay unbeaten out of the Big 12? Does you know someone get come out of the the Pac 12 as a real strong 12 and one? Maybe I mean like. It's the years where you just don't have another good option out of uh, out of a, you know other conferences. That's when you really have uh, you know. I think I think last year it was much more of a conversation because Clemson was was bad last year, and that you know essentially in o- Oklahoma was bad last year, and it just kind of like opened up a spot. Essentially, this year, I, I don't think you know. I, I don't think you're going to have quite that same that same vibe just because I think Clemson's probably going to be there. Someone's going to be there out of the big 10 and potentially you have a second team out of the big Ten. I think, You know, you're more likely to see two big 10 teams than three sec teams this year.
3: TCU uh, is playing Kansas state at home this weekend. Then they have to go to West Virginia. Then they have Texas tech home. Then they're at Texas. Then they're at Baylor. I think it'd be very difficult for them to run the table. I, I, I do would love to see what would happen if they did run the table and they won the big 12 and they were like, It was between them and a one-loss Alabama. Although Alabama, as an SEC championship one-loss team, is they're they're probably in um, over. Are they? they, They're in over Tennessee, I think. At that point, and it's I'm wondering if there's a a one-loss SEC team that can jump an undefeated TCU, even if it's the second SEC team. I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, if Georgia beats Tennessee, and then um, you know Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, in its thirteen and one Alabama and or sorry twelve and one Alabama at, as an SEC champion, and then twelve and one Georgia as a non-SEC champion, and twelve and one Tennessee as a non as you know division champion, does a does a thirteen and TCU get in ahead of them? And I feel like the answer is they should but I don't (laughs) know if they would. That's the, yeah, it's, I I feel like at that point you're going to have conversations. you are going to make your eyes roll back in your head. Um, which, you know, won't that be a new and exciting thing for college football? Uh, I'm already, I started thinking about like, Oh, when is, when did they start doing those college football playoff selection shows? Cause we've typically done live shows for those. And it's just like, Oh man, those, those shows, I, I, I'm, I'm not, sure i'm ready for the uh live you know the the post call or or the post show uh conference calls with gary barter whoever's the commissioner this year like just well you know something something game control something and just it's like well i asked you a question and you said words but i don't know if you actually answered the question and you certainly didn't do it in a intellectually consistent way with the answer you gave 30 seconds earlier to a different question so I'm already tired of that. So, and it hasn't even started yet. Can't wait.
3: Well, Alabama has those four wins against ranked opponents. And it's like, yeah, those ranked opponents are 22, 23, 24, and 25. And they're there because you wanted Alabama to have those ranked opponents. So fun stuff like that.
2: Speaking of Alabama opponents at VW Chad W, if Ohio State played Tennessee today on a neutral field, who would win and how?
3: Tom, I think Ohio State would win by scoring more points. Um, I also think the running game, the Ohio State running game. And is this one of those things where you try to, is this an Ohio State slowdown game where you're just, you're trying to um, run some clock a little bit, but you you can hurry up and still run the clock. Like you can do no huddle and still run the clock. But I think Ohio State's running game and physicality would be uh, the difference. I also was surprised at the way Hendon Hooker would just stay in the pocket and just stand there. And and I think Ohio State would have some success there. Although watching that game, time, I came away thinking Alabama would be the easier matchup for Ohio State than Tennessee. Because I think um, not that there's more flaws, it just feels like what Alabama does, maybe Ohio State would have some success with. But Trying to contain Bryce Young is really difficult. Trying to contain Hendon Hooker isn't easy either. But I think I I would say Ohio State because of the physicality. And then um, we're still trying to figure out what this Ohio State defense is. I think it's good. But that game would sure tell us.
2: Yeah, you would learn a lot there. And I think there's also a little bit of a difference between playing Tennessee on one week and playing Tennessee with a month to prepare in terms of what you can do on defense and what you're, you know, how you're approaching them and all that. The other thing is Alabama and Georgia too. I mean, where does Ohio state have the biggest advantage just in terms of like your, your guys versus their guys. Uh, To me, the answer is wide receiver, like by a wide margin, Ohio state has better wide receivers than either of those teams. And, you know, I mean, let's, let's see how Tennessee holds up against the Ohio state offense. Cause that has not been a very good defense. And it is, <clears throat> has, has this season been very specifically not a good pass defense. That seems like that's a concern to me where, you know, if you have Ohio state has been a good defense and they have not played an offense, the caliber of Tennessee's yet. I don't think anyone's going to argue otherwise, but if you know, Tennessee, I don't think has played an offense, the caliber of Ohio state's because Ohio state's is the best in the country. So If Tennessee's not having great success against the passing attacks of inferior offenses, yeah, they're going to score against Ohio State. But I don't, I don't know how often they're getting Ohio State's offense off the field. That's very clearly a game where you're going to, you know, touchdowns, not field goals in that game. Like field goals are punts. You might as well just, might as well just punt, uh, if, you know, rather than kick a field goal. So, you know, can Tennessee get Ohio State's offense off the field? I don't know that they can. I think that would be an exceptionally entertaining game. I mean, a really, really entertaining game, you know, in that, you know, the losing team scores 40 points. That's a game, Tony, that I think puts that uh, Ohio State has only lost one game in history, scoring 35 or more points. I think that puts that that streak in, you know, in in some jeopardy. But I do think, ultimately, Ohio State is a better all-around team and probably wins that game.
3: Yeah, I'm just looking, and we know when we... Passing yards allowed is is kind of a bad stat or a bad stat. There are times, however, when it's applicable and you look at what Tennessee has allowed this season, 269 yards passing to Ball State, fine, 274 yards to Pitt, 241 to Akron, 453 to Florida, 300 to LSU, 455 to Alabama. That starts to mean something when you're giving up. Uh, gosh, 400 yards passing per game in the SEC against the likes of Florida and LSU who cannot throw the ball. That's, uh, pretty significant to me. And that's, as you said, that's telltale with the, the pass defense that, um, and it's not just because teams are down and they have to catch up. Florida, you know, they lost by five. LSU, it is what it is, but like this is a, a flawed LSU defense. And if you give CJ Stroud time, then, you know, it comes to down to when Ohio State can do whatever they want, whenever they want. You're, you're kind of hopeless as a defense and you don't really hear much about the Tennessee defense. And if you're going to beat Ohio State, you have to have a defense.
2: You don't, you do hear things about the Tennessee defense. You don't hear much good about the Tennessee defense, but you do hear, do hear things about the Tennessee defense. Yes. Yeah. that That's a, I mean, like I said, that would be a very entertaining game if that is you know, if that somehow ends up the national championship game, I would be delighted to co- go cover that one. And uh, out in SoFi, I think that would be uh, th- that would be one of those games that you're sort of setting yourself up for. You have all the elements of this ends up being one of the greatest games in college football history, just because it's going to be entertaining. You get obviously the very high stakes. Yeah, I think that's. I think that will be. Uh, a lot of fun we you know what i have a feeling we might get to talk a little more tennessee later on in the season so i'm gonna i'm gonna save my thoughts on uh tennessee's offense uh for a little later on
1: but with the lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right, next one for at LarryP713. Michigan looks very good, but I'm not worried for some reason. I still don't think we can play man against all our weapons. Will Coach Knowles change his personnel and scheme significantly to stop that run? Will our cornerbacks be up to it? And we talked a bunch about this on the Michigan Monday show that we did yesterday, so if you want a deeper dive on this, I couldn't. I literally could not stop talking about the uh, Ohio State versus Michigan matchup on the uh, on the Michigan versus Penn State show. So you can get a whole bunch of thoughts there. But I think I don't think Jim Knowles necessarily puts an extra linebacker on the field. I don't think I don't think you're going to go four three there because they've been able to they've been very effective against the run in that four two five look. They've been able to adjust you know adjust personnel a little bit there to match up with teams. I I think the most interesting piece of this is how does the Ohio State defensive line hold up against Michigan's offensive line? Because Michigan's offensive line has, you know, you have seen them have a bunch of big second halves against teams. And that's a function of wearing opponent defensive lines down. Well, if Ohio State's rotating defensive line personnel as much as they have been, that maybe mitigates some of that. So does that change things a little bit? And as far as you know, matching up with you know the Ohio State cornerbacks, matching up with Michigan's wide receivers, JJ McCarthy does not throw the ball downfield a whole heck of a lot. Tony talked about that on on yesterday's show and has had a bunch of stats on you know how often they actually throw the ball more than five yards downfield, and it is not a whole heck of a lot. And when they do it, it's not that effective. You know, I'm I'm saying all of this, and everyone's going, "Tom's going to pick Ohio State win by 42 points." It's like, no, they're not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. This, these are areas where I think there are some questions from the Michigan perspective on how they will match up with, with, uh, with Ohio State. Now, on the Ohio State side, you know, in terms of you're not worried for some reason, like, mm, I would still like to see Ohio State hold up against the run against a very, very physical team, uh, in a way that they did not up in Ann Arbor last year. When you get run over like that, now, now I would like to see that and, you know, pr- prove it to me that that is not going to happen again, is I think where I sort of stand on that one. So, you know, can Michigan's offensive line wear down a deeper Ohio State defensive line? Can Ohio State's defensive, you know, front seven? And can they keep Blake Corm? Can they get Blake Corm to the ground? Can they keep Blake Corm from busting a 60-yarder? Can You know, these are, these are all really good questions, and uh, two of about uh, the 572 reasons I am really looking forward to that game this year. I, that is going to be a fascinating, fascinating game.
3: Yeah, you answered that one very well, including the next one. Having watched Michigan, do you think Ohio State can stop the rushing offense of Michigan with their base defense, or will it take another linebacker on the field? That one from at here for the buck. And I'm with you. I don't know that you necessarily need another linebacker. I think what you need is a solid tackler to bring down Blake Corum. Like, if that's Tanner McAllister, that's Tanner McAllister. If it's Sonny Styles, I don't think it is, but if it's – maybe it's – Uh, Cody Simon but I think you just go with what you do and then you have to tackle and you force Michigan to beat those corners and if it happens okay if it happens half the time whatever like just continue to make force that to happen because if you're just gonna get outnumbered by Michigan's offense then you're, you're complicit and for Penn State to allow 400-plus yards brushing, that's not just Michigan doing that. That's Penn State allowing it. There's there's Penn State is complicit in that, and they they are to blame for some of that. But, of course, Michigan's offensive line is really, really good. I was not expecting them to do that against Penn State, what they did. And so I, I have very high respect for the offensive line, for Blake Corm, for Donovan Edwards. And it's one of those things where I think Jim Knowles wants to run his defense. And if it's not working, then you adjust. But until it's not working, then you're going to do what you do. And we won't, you know, we we won't know until we see it because Ohio State's schedule this year is very, very bad. And so you won't even know until it happens whether or not it's good enough to to handle it. And that's going to be the case after the Michigan game, like wherever the the postseason leads for Ohio State, you're kind of going to be learning stuff on the fly in terms of us learning stuff on the fly, viewers learning stuff on the fly. I think the coaches know what they know, but like, can this defense handle Tennessee? I don't know, but let's find out. Can they handle Michigan's running game? I think so. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, other teams have done okay against Michigan's running game, which which is what you have to go back to. This Penn State thing is an outlier on ter- in terms of, you know, because Michigan has run fresh for like 170 against Indiana, you know, n- numbers like that where it's not outrageous. So this one was outrageous. So you have to put some of the, a, a good portion of the blame on Penn state for making that happen. So long answer, I think they're going to go with the four two five and, and just tackle and make sure you don't get outnumbered and make sure you you keep contained and just tackle. And Tommy Eckenberg and steel chambers have done that very well this year. And that was another issue that Penn state, their linebackers were missing tackles. And you know, you, the defensive backs weren't as helpful as they could have been. And really, this Ohio State defense has been working more in unison than Penn State's.
2: Yeah, I, I think Jim Knowles might be a better defensive coordinator than Manny Diaz. Mm. There, I said it out loud. All mm. right. All right. So moving on. Uh, next one from at John Darrow, 14. Is Tembo an effective way to attack the multi-look Michigan fronts at the risk of getting off the field quickly against a team that wants to kill clock? And I feel like, Tony, we've seen several times this year where Michigan isn't lined up at the snap of the ball you know they're they're moving guys around there was there was at least one play against penn state where that was the case anytime you have guys not set that's a win and you know i don't think penn state if i remember correctly they only made six eight yards on the play something like that it wasn't it wasn't like a huge gash but it was just keep that tempo you're you're that's going to be something that michigan hasn't seen and you don't need to do it every play but you can just you can go fast every once in a while i I think that's something that Ohio State needs to think about doing because, you know, y- you go back to, uh, you know, you're practicing every day against, you know, when you're going good on good in practice, you're facing a team that is going to be deliberate. They're going to try and run the ball. They're going to try and be very physical. If you're going fast and you're stressing them vertically in a way they're really not getting stressed vertically, probably during practice most weeks, and that the scout team isn't going to be replicate, like you be able to replicate. I think you are trying to put Michigan in as many uncomfortable positions where they're, you know, this is not a familiar, comfortable feeling. And tempo, I think, is is an area where you can do that. And stressing them vertically is an area I think where you can do that.
3: Yeah, and if you do them both together, I bet you have some success. And you know, that's something that Ohio State's twelve personnel can do, or, or um, you know, like you you show up in the twelve personnel. So Michigan maybe maybe they don't go with Mike Sainer still at nickel, and maybe they have the third linebacker or something like that. And then you can, uh, we, we've seen them send caged over way out in order to get the numbers uh, back to their advantage on the inside. And so you have this six man front uh, in the box and you can run on that. Or if you, if they decide to go light and keep Mike Sainer still in and you have 12 personnel, then you, you that's a nickel. That's a four to five running against two tight ends and and a power look. And so there's things that Ohio State can do to keep that, keep whatever look they want on the field and do something in a 12 personnel. And if they, to keep a defense trapped, basically, if if they find something that they want and they trap it, then they'll keep that defense on the field and tempo, tempo, tempo. And, you know, there that 12 personnel can be G Scott and Kate Stover and G Scott would be just fine lined up way out wide and is comfortable with that to bring out, you know, whether it's a safety, a corner, a linebacker, whatever to get somebody out of the box. So there's, there are ways that they will attack it and tempo we've seen it work and just the, the confusion that it can bring, the not getting set up, the getting set, catching your wind, and then boom, the running, the running game coming right at you. Like it doesn't necessarily just have to be East, West stuff. It can, you know, five yards on first down, boom, line them up again. Let's do it again. Like watching Tennessee attack, With their their tempo, their tempo is better than anybody's in the nation. I don't know that Ohio State can go that fast or will want to go that fast, especially with. There is a point there where, you know, Michigan's going to try to burn the clock, and you don't want to go three and out. But it's one of those things that it can work for you, and if you're good enough to execute at it, and Ohio State, you know, we've seen that they are. So I I expect them to use that.
2: Yeah, trapping a defense on the field and personnel, they don't necessarily want to be in. It reminds me a little bit of a hockey team on a power play where if you've got the puck down in the other team's end and they can't get the puck out, they can't get it out. They can't get it out. You've got their defenses out there getting more and more tired. They're four guys compared to your five and they're getting more and more tired. And you can probably sub a guy, you know, in hockey, you can sub a guy in sometimes, but in football, if you're just going tempo, tempo, tempo there, you know, you know what you're doing in every play. They don't know. So they're, they are getting more and more tired out there. And, you know, you also know, if you know what they have out there, one of the big advantages in hockey is you get, is the home team. You get the last change because you know what they have out there. And then you can change to match that. Well, if you know what they have out there, you can call your plays based on, we know what they have out there. We know where we want to attack them. That's one of those other advantages to tempo uh, as well. Uh, next one from at Brock seven seven four one one four eight nine. 11489 if Michigan beats Ohio, uh, if Ohio State beats Michigan and both are ranked in the top four, are Ohio State fans rushing the fields and taking down the goalposts? Tony, I'm gonna ask you a question.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When was the last time Ohio State beat Michigan at home? Even like the crappy Richrod teams, and didn't storm the field? They they don't take the goalposts down. The goalposts are ones They're where I don't I down. literally don't think you can get them down. But when was the last time Ohio State beat Michigan at home and didn't rush the field?
3: Um I remember them doing it in 2016 and I assume they did it in 2018. They would have done it in 2018, but Michigan, of course, just declined to play in that game. But um, like it's, I don't know the answer to that, Tom, if if you know it offhand, but it it doesn't, I wasn't, it wasn't egregious them storming the field against Michigan. Um, They did it against Penn state in 2017 as well. So it's like, you know, this is, it's a big game. This is again, this is the only good game on Ohio State's schedule. Let I think the fans will probably storm if they win, and and it will be well worth it. And uh, I I will make sure to try not to be trapped by the crowd like I was in twenty sixteen. But did they do it in twenty eighteen as well?
2: I am um, yeah yeah they did it in twenty eighteen because I got a picture of Shea Patterson walking off the field looking very sad with a million Ohio State fans around him. I I. I mean, I couldn't swear to it that they've done it every single year, but I mean, every single year I can remember they've done it. Even like 2008, they, you know, against a terrible rich rod team where it's 42 to seven, they stormed the field every single year that it's happened. And at Michigan, I think they stormed the field last year. They stormed the field. I'm pretty sure in 2011, they stormed the field in 2003. So, you know, you're going back to, I was in the stadium for 1999, and I couldn't swear to you that Michigan stormed the field after that game. But I think every game they, you know, they did in 1997, they did in 1995, they did in 1993. I mean, the last time a, I, I think there's a decent chance that there has been a tie in the Ohio State-Michigan series more recently than the last time a home team won the game and didn't storm the field. I, I, I,
3: I know I did it in '94.
2: I think you're going, you're going back to. A long way. Uh next one from at Wayne Kantz. Uh as we get ready for Michigan, who is Tony and Tom's Michigan podcast of choice, no Thine Enemy. Do you have a Michigan podcast of choice, Tony?
3: I do not. I, I don't even listen to our Michigan podcast on Mondays. I mean, I hear it. <laughs> I don't always know what I'm saying. I don't always hear what you're saying, but I don't have a specific Michigan podcast. I don't know I don't know that I could. Um, like just one specific team, like, uh, no, I don't. And that, that's a lot of information just on one team. And, uh, I appreciate the people who listen to this episode and, and the focus on Ohio state, but, uh, me covering Ohio state, I would want something. I prefer more well, not well-rounded, but like national scope or, or conference scope more than just one team, but nothing for me. What about you?
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have listened to the MGO podcast at points in previous years, but not on any kind of a regular basis. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you, frankly, covering the team. I don't like having other people's thoughts, uh, you know, you know, listening to other people's thoughts and then worrying that I'm going to incorporate their thoughts into my analysis of things. So I generally try not to, I will listen to some national podcast uh national college football podcast the college football nerds show i like that that's a very analytically driven uh one uh split zone duo is a very good national college football podcast uh shutdown forecast is absolute nonsense but is uh just kind of like brain candy sometimes so uh and and real college football adjacent a lot of times as well so uh those are those are three that i will listen to on you know something of a regular basis but yeah in terms of team specific shows i generally don't uh don't do that. Uh next one from At Bellissimo Foto. How about a designed run play for Stroud to keep the defense honest? Tony, your thoughts?
3: I think the defenses are being kept honest well enough with the Ohio State running game, which at this point is doing pretty well and averaging roughly six yards a carry which is the best in the Big Ten by a yard over most teams, by a quarter of a yard over Michigan, who is second place. And I think they've done enough to diffuse the situation with the the running game. They're running the ball differently. They're running it out of um, under center, you know, different areas, doing different things with with what they do with the offensive line. And so they are making up for the lack of the quarterback run by running different plays and also incorporating the receivers as well as we saw last week. So, um, you know, we have seen CJ Stroud keep it a couple times this year. And I know there are people out there and I right, talked with one on Twitter a couple days ago that think that CJ Stroud isn't keeping the ball on all of these handoffs. And if he would just keep it on one and it's like, these are not reads. These are just handoffs. CJ Stroud is a very good quarterback. You see the way he reads defenses. You see what he's able to do. And, and throw the ball. If you agree that he can see the field, then what you're saying is if he can do that, but he's not reading a one defensive end or one linebacker, like one player on these handoffs, like he's not able to read that one player, and instead he's he's handing the ball off instead of keeping it. That's that's illogical. He can read one guy on the edge and determine whether or not to keep the ball. So when you see all of these handoffs from last year. I get tackled right at the outset, like right at the line scrimmage in the backfield. Just know those aren't reads. Those are just straight handoffs. And there's no, there are no, they didn't have enough constraints last year because they were very predictable. They have more constraints this year and the defense just can't collapse because they're doing some different things and and they're blocking things differently and and all kinds of good stuff. But they, um, I think they're doing okay. Now, can he still stand to, can they call some and run him? I have no problem with that. But I know he's a much more valuable passer than runner. The running game is doing very well as it is. But if you want to throw in a couple of read keepers, you know, maybe just one every two weeks is probably all you really need, honestly. And maybe, maybe against Michigan, then he carries it seven times. Like, you know, you save it. You don't, you don't need it against Indiana.
2: And I think we've seen in the couple of recent weeks, we've talked about this on, you know, the rewatch shows where we talk, you know, well, here's what we learned rewatching the game kind of thing. The threat of CJ Stroud running, he's done it just enough already that you see teams really respecting it. We saw the first touchdown to Cade Stover a couple of weeks ago. The, the You had two defenders sucking up because you saw CJ Stroud, you know, the threat of the CJ Stroud run. And then Cade Stover is just right behind him like, hey, throw it to me. And he did. Um, you You've seen that enough. That you know, I I don't think you're necessarily you know I I think you you've shown enough of it to get through the next few weeks I do you do wonder you know I you wonder if Ryan Day's eyes lit up a little bit on the 62 uh, yard Sean Clifford run where you know maybe maybe you've got something in the bag there I mean remember C.J. Stradd had a 50 something yard touchdown against Michigan State in 2020 so it's it's in there it's a possibility maybe that's something you you kind of have saved for a situation like that. But yeah, I think, you know, that is a break glass in case of emergency, like use as needed kind of thing. Like Dwayne Haskins running for three touchdowns against Maryland in 2018. Like they didn't need him to do it until they did. And then he did. And so, you know, CJ Stroud is certainly capable of doing it. Uh, and it's just kind of a matter of, you know, what, how often do you break that out? Cause also you don't want him getting hit. You don't want him getting drilled because if he's out, well, that changes the game quite a bit. You know, C.J. Stroud going out with an injury probably changes the game more than just the threat of C.J. Stroud running the ball uh, does. Last one from Matt, William McMillan. Will Ohio State's running backs be recovered for Iowa? We will have more information on this later on on uh, later on today when we talk to Ryan Day and uh, some of the Ohio State coaches and players. They will That'll be uh, the noon press conference. We'll be streaming that live at youtube.com slash Buckeye Huddle. But, you know, I, as of the last time we got any kind of an update on this, it sounded like all the guys who were kind of banged up were sort of on track to be be back for the most part, other than the guys who were, you know, we know are Evan Pryor and Mitchell Melton. We know those guys are out for the year, but Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, those guys are all supposed to be. In my and in, uh sorry, my, Travion, not Travion Henderson. Mayan Williams was, was the one who missed the last game, but all those guys are sort of on track to be back. Uh, Travion Henderson's been a little banged up, but you know the the brute was a thigh bruise or something at Michigan State. Like he's on track to be back. It sounds like they should be more or less 100% healthy for the most part. Like Jordan Hancock, maybe he's not ready to be in the full-time rotation. But, you know, for the most part, you should have a more or less uh, fully healthy Ohio State team going into that Iowa game.
3: Yeah, and this is the point of the season where they say, well, nobody's 100%. But, yeah, a, a, Trevion Henderson could have gone back in that game after that hit on a leg. They didn't need him, so he didn't. I expect, you know, he will be fine. Mayan Williams should be good to go. And, yeah, finally you get to see Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think is what we all assume, and two healthy running backs and uh, just in time for an Iowa defense, which is very, very solid, very, very physical. And it's the time where you're going to need everybody you have. And it may end up being a four-touchdown game, but you're still going to need everybody to get there and to, to make the most of the weapons that you have. Tom, I think, I believe we have defeated the listeners and their questions. Anything else before we go?
2: I think we've covered uh, covered all the questions and the questions we got. First of all, thank you guys for a really Hmm. good variety of questions. We ended up talking about a whole bunch of different stuff here. It wasn't seventeen versions of the same question, which is always always fun to have. You know, get to talk a little, little national, a little you know Michigan, a little upcoming game, a little just sort of general uh Ohio State stuff. So yeah, we appreciate you guys uh giving us giving us uh, a good interesting mix of questions here and you know this is if you have questions, we don't you don't have to wait till we ask you, you know, w- till we ask you for questions. Like if you have questions, hit us up on Twitter, let us know and or hit us up on the Huddleboard at Buckeyehuddle.com because you know we are we are here. We do these shows for you guys. We don't just do these shows for us. So uh we you know we we want to know what you guys want us to talk about and that is a great way to let us know what you want us to talk about and let us know and then you know, within reason, we'll talk about it.
3: And I also like what you said when you used the word basic, basic <laughs> questions, nothing super complicated, nothing that's going to need me to get my, my pen and my paper out here and uh, carry the one, just keep things. And again, no math, no math. Um, and we appreciate that. Appreciate all of these questions. As always, you can check us out at buckeyehuddle.com. If you'd like to become a member, it's very easy to do. Just uh, click on the the subscribe today link at the top of the page if you're not already a member. If you are a member, stop by, say hi, either in person, at a game, not at home, at a game, or uh, at a grocery store. (laughs) Kevin Noon was out at a grocery store this past Friday, and a listener stopped by to get a photo with him. And um, I, as I said to Kevin, I assume he was just upset that we weren't there. And it was just Kevin. And he's like, well, I guess since you're here, I'll take this picture. And and so that's always fun. And again, you can find us on uh, YouTube at youtube.com slash Buckeye Huddle. We're available. Go ahead and look for us. You don't have to search hard. But thank you for tuning in here today. And we will talk to you guys later.